Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars and creators of the hottest shows on Broadway, off-Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. This week on Stagecraft, I'm talking to the actress Adrienne C. Moore. Fans of Orange is the New Black will recognize her from her prominent role as Cindy in all seven seasons of the Netflix series, but she got her start off-Broadway, starring in shows like Milk Like Sugar and, later, Taming of the Shrew in Central Park. Following this summer's release of the final season of Orange is the New Black, she's back on stage as one of the stars of the Public Theater's production of poet Entozake Shange's famous 1976 theater piece for colored girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. Moore's here in the studio with me to tell us all about how she and her collaborators are bringing together the universal and the deeply personal to bring this landmark theater piece to life. Hi, Adrian. Hi, Thanks for Jordan. being here. Thank you for having me. Um, so I was saying just before we turn on the mics that For Colored Girls is for me, and I think for a lot of people, it's one of those plays that we've all heard of, we've probably read, but we, I mean, I've never had a chance to see before. And it's, you know, I've been going to see theater in New York for 20 some years. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's just, it is so, sort of such a landmark, and yet it doesn't really get done very often. What did it mean something to you before uh, you signed on to this production? And what was that? You know, likewise, I hadn't seen a production of it as well. I feel, you know, I remember there was like a PBS. And I think I mm-hmm. remember seeing maybe glimpses of it when I was younger. But I, I had never seen a full production. Um, I had first gotten the piece when I was in high school. I can't remember if a teacher or a neighbor or a family friend had given me the book. Right. Um, but... Of course, you know, being in high school and just... Where was this at the time? This was Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia, yeah. Benjamin mm-hmm. Elijah Mays High School. I was busy doing, <laughs> I don't know what, running the streets, playing basketball, who knows. <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't read it um, all the way through. I read, you know, selected poems and things like that. But it wasn't until I was in my 20s and I was re-entering back into the arts and I was looking for audition material and and I had had the book in my house. And so I was like, oh, maybe I'll pick some poems and make some monologues, right. you know, out of this. And Lady in Yellow were, was oh. some of the poetry that I used for monologues. And, and of course, then that's when I found out, you know, it had this big life in New York. I mean, I, I didn't grow up in New York, so I didn't really have that enclave of like 
theater and Broadway, like um, sure. a lot of people uh, did. So the magnitude of it didn't resonate with me until I read it for myself. Right. So it was really interesting to go in this process not having, you know, this this map already of what I had seen. Of course, I knew, you know, all of the hype about it, but of course, I didn't right. I didn't have any any um, visual idea of what this this piece was. So it was it was I was lucky in that since I could approach it very honestly and authentically from what was coming from in me. Right. And Shangai calls it not a play, but a choreo poem. So Absolutely. So I guess my first question is, how did you perform it when you were auditioning? Did you do movement stuff with it? No, okay. I just, I'm, I, I, I feel, you know, and again, this was Adrian in her 20s, so she was just a bourgeoning, <laughs> trying to figure it out artist. Um, but I think I played it like I was talking to a girlfriend. And mm -hmm. honestly, much of how I play it in the show is like that. Right. Um, um, she's, uh, you know, we are older women, but we are reflecting upon different moments in our lives. And so we tried it different ways where it was like, okay, we are the teenage girls or we are the adults reflecting upon, you know, a time in our teenage years. So we tried it different ways. And, and I think we kind of settled on a, a mix between the two. But if you remember, you know, when you were young and you were telling stories, you were very animated and physical. And yep. so I love the fact that there is a lot of movement in this piece yeah. and it allows, you know, how we as women of color tell stories and we do tell stories with our bodies and our hands and our just, you know, it's, it's a, even as I'm talking to you now, like you, right. using right. my body yeah. to talk, you know, so yeah. I love that. And Camille A. Brown, who is the choreographer for yeah. this piece, has really brought an element to the show that is daring and it's bold and she 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 has this saying that you know I try to remember when I am in performance and she says you know I've done my job if you don't look like you're dancing right on stage right. so um it's it's how we use movement in our everyday lives to talk but yes how there is sort of a fluidity right. to that movement and what's your now that you've worked on it for a while and you're still in it? What's your sense of why this is the right form? It's such an unusual form. Why is this the right form for this the stories that this piece wants to convey and the experiences? I, oh, there's a lot of things that come to mind when, with that question. Um, first, the idea that it, almost like music, right? When when you have nothing else to say, but a song can really express every emotion and feeling that you're feeling. I think that's what poetry does as well. Right. Um, and the movement as well, coupled with that, when when you can't express it in words, your body can express it. Um, there are right. times where I'm looking at the other women um, working on their poems, and I, I just see how naturally movement becomes a part of their expression and in their storytelling, right. and so um, that's that. Th those are things that I that that I I feel is so unique about this being a choreo poem and not just a poem where you stand on stage and talk. You know, when it was originally conceived, it was also very audience participatory mm. um, because it it was this you know communal experience of you know yes this is my voice but it is all of our voices. Right. Yeah. And the production that you're in right now, it sort of uh, kind of nods to that anyway, by sort of putting you in the round. Like you're surrounded on all sides by, mm -hmm. by the mm -hmm. audience, right? Um, you, your role is Lady in Yellow and everybody 
uh, everybody's is named after a color, like the color she is wearing, more than uh, more than an actual character name. Mm-hmm. So, what's your? How do you think of how much of what you are playing is a sort of archetypal experience, and how much of it is a specific woman with very specific experiences that you know? For instance, you talk about in your uh, in the poems you have. Yes. So yellow. When you think about that color, um, I think about light. I think mm. about energy. I think about power and fueling um, things like pure energy. And so when I think about my character and her journey through the piece, she definitely is fueling the energy. I mean, the start of the show, you know. I mean, you kind of start the show, right? I'm, you start I'm that clapping, dance. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm winding up that turbine engine right. of women, um, that rainbow, yeah. so to speak. Um, because it, it is, it, it requires a lot of energy, one, just to, to get through the show, <laughs> but also to tell these stories, you yeah. know, to be honest and be open and be that vulnerable and be that authentic about, you know, the joys and the sad, the sadness and the trauma of uh, the experiences of women of color. And I, I also think about um, when it comes to light, you know, yes, we do talk about a lot of traumatic, dark moments um, that women of color experience, but as Intezake details in the title, you know, a lot of a lot of times just people focus on for colored girls or they focus right. on for colored girls who have considered suicide. Right. But what I want the the light to be in this is that um, who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. And so it's like they're moving past that. They're seeing the the light at the end of the tunnel. And there's right. this beautiful song that we sing that that talks about um, um, oh gosh I have to sing it to like remember the lyrics <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> but I'm like oh, the hands are holding tongues and quick. it's actually a very sexual song oh alright um, well, but uh, <laughs> we're all adults here it's fine <laughs> that's a TBD you have to come yeah. see the show um, <laughs> right. but but yeah we talk about these very dark moments but then the celebration of moving through those dark tunnels into the light and seeing the brightness at the end of at the rainbow right and how do you what's your sense of the movement that uh you mentioned camille uh a brown who was the choreographer on once on this island and choir boy and what's your for people who haven't seen the show yet how do you sort of characterize the style of movement is it uh and do you have a lot of dance experience that's my other you know, I was that kid that danced when I was a when I was a kid. So right. middle school, high school, but by high school I started transitioning more into sports. Right. I love to dance. It's something that I that's a passion of mine and I feel, you know, the body and dance is a great expression of the inner self. And that's I think what Camille tries to embody in each of the movement. Well, I mean, most times and I and I've done musicals where, you know, you come in and the choreographer already has pieces that they've choreographed and so forth and she doesn't start like that you know she starts with a gesture she has us come up with five gestures um, something that relates to the movement or I'm sorry that that relates to the poetry something that you know evokes something in us so it's generated by you it's totally generated by us and how she puts it together is just incredible Mm -hmm. and then she's really big on levels like she doesn't want everyone standing up she wants to see you down on the ground she Mm -hmm. wants to see you bending she wants to you know really show 
within the different levels, the complexity of how we walk through life. You know, right. we don't always walk through life standing tall. There are moments where we are, you know, down and on the ground and, and we can't pick ourselves up. And so what does that look like in the body? Um, so she literally starts the process um, her, what, this is how she started the process. So who's afraid of dance? That was the first question she asked us. How many of you raised your hands? I, I did a cartwheel. Yeah. <laughs> I said, me, cartwheel. I said, but I love it. Right. I love it because I love what it can express. And so she said, okay, well, I'll have done my job when it looks like you're not dancing. Right. And so then from there, she asks for gestures. And, and, mm -hmm. and when I think of a word, what does that translate to me in my body? And so... That's how she builds her choreography, and I think it's I think it's it's risky. I think it's bold. I think it's also very scary, and I'm all up for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about the costumes in this. There, you, oh. everybody has uh, these. You know, everybody's wearing a different color. You're yes. the lady in yellow, but there are also these faces yes. printed on them. And where do they come from? They're and tell us about them. Beautiful they faces. Are. Yeah. They are beautiful faces of women in our lives that have impacted oh. us greatly. So um, some of the women have their mothers, their mm -hmm. grandmothers. I have my grandmother, Mabel Moore, oh. my, my paternal uh, mothers uh, on my dress because she, to me, she was a Leo like mm -hmm. myself. <laughs> um, and as a kid, you know, she, I thought she was just mean and mm -hmm. stern and strict. And, you know, you come into her house, she was like, sit there. And, you know, she had like the plastic furniture and, sure. and the one, you know, TV channel that was black and white that only showed Andy Griffin. And you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't turn it. I was like, oh, my, my grandmother is mean. But then as I grew older, she passed when I was, when I was a young girl. So then my memories of her became stories from other people. Mm. And I hear, you know, her growing up in the South and raising 11 children and literally moving her family from a three-room house while her husband, my grandfather, was off traveling and, you know, he played for the Negro uh, Baseball League and he mm. built railroads. She right. literally moved them into a home, which at that time, um, being a woman and being from the South, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't sign the deed on your own home. You had to wait for your husband, but she right. figured out a way. Right to get a house and move them in. And so you, you I, when I hear those stories about her strength and how, you know, they didn't have a lot, but yet she not only fed her family, but she fed the kids in the neighborhood that, that couldn't eat. Wow. You know, so I, as, as I've gotten older, I hear stories about her strength and, 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 and how much of a leader she was. And so I chose to put her on my dress. Yeah. So every night I walk in her spirit and I walk in her fearlessness. Yeah. You're sort of glowing with that. Like I can tell it. Like yeah, um, absolutely. Affects that you was, as you're walking out a, on that. On it that was stage. such a beautiful way to embody. I mean, even in the the you know the clothes. Like you think, oh, they're just mm. clothes we wear. I mean, and we're sweating in them. But sure. <laughs> but even in that, just the fact that so much thought was put into you know what even the wardrobe and how that will feed us right. in the performance each night. I thought was just very considerate. Yeah. So the show was uh, premiered in the '70s and '76. Mm -hmm. um, how? What's your sense of what was how that played at the time, and what's your take on how it plays now with the world being what it is in 2019? Well, in the '70s, it definitely um, was a shocker yeah. um, to um, a lot of people, and especially uh, men of color. They didn't perceive it too well because I think they thought it was bashing them, mm -hmm. and. It wasn't bashing them. It was just finally 
being able to speak the truth. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and I think Ntozaki wasn't trying to bash anyone. She was just trying to finally give a voice to women who were voiceless um, at a time where, you know, I think as women of color, you know, we're always supposed to be the backbone, you know, the right. strength. Um, and, and that's true, and we are, and we, and we definitely hold that, that space. But there are moments where we're weak, and there are moments where we hurt, and there are moments where we have trauma, and we want to be able to talk about it. And we, want, and we don't always want to be strong and we and we don't always want to you know hold our tongue when there are things that bother us or trouble us or hurt us and so when it was when it first was received in the 70s there was sort of this liberation and celebration of yes finally being able to speak and voice our truth but then there was a lot of backlash of you know you're not supporting us and you're not upholding us and things like that um so that was um, a doozy. Mm-hmm. And then you move into 2019 where you have more freedom and less apology about, you know, who you are authentically and how you show up in the world. And so I think it's, you know, it's it's one of those pieces that I think will always stand the test of time no matter when it is presented. Even in 20 years, if we've moved the litmus you know, further along and, and there's there's not so much of a challenge with Me Too movements and women's equality and Time's Up and so forth. You know, I hope in 20 years we'll be able to get to a place where, you know, it won't be so much of a challenge. But even then, I still think these words will, will, will resonate yeah. with women. Yeah. I, I'm talking to you pretty early on in your uh, preview process. Mm-hmm. What so far for you has uh, been the biggest challenge of this piece? Mm, that's a lot. <laughs> you know, um, I love theater because I call it my gym. Mm-hmm. It's a place huh. where... You, someone just said that on this podcast a couple of weeks ago. Really? Um, I mean, and it's true. Yeah. It's true. I mean, what it requires of you physically, emotionally, you have this fourth wall every night that's coming in and you don't know how they're going to receive it. Right. Uh, but but they're so necessary to complete um, the picture. So for me, I think um, aside from, you know, just making sure my body can literally get through the show, <laughs> um, it's making the language new to me every night. Mm. You know, and, and I, what I love about the poetry and what I love about these words is that I'm discovering something mm. every night right. and it's, it's evolving me and it's, it's allowing me to go deeper into the text, deeper into the experience of these women, deeper into the experience of women in general. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not just me that's talking. I feel like, yes, I am talking for a generation of women for a for a women a people of color right. you know and not just not just black women but latina women asian women native american women i mean martha redbone who who's the composer in our piece is native mm-hmm. american and this even resonates with her and the experiences yeah. that she's had as a woman growing up so i feel my grandmother you yeah. know i yeah. feel all of this we do this song called souls of black folk where it's literally yeah. like we're conjuring and bringing up our ancestors and like their pain and what they went through you know in this uh, you know in their diaspora so 
it's 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 knowing that yeah there's a lot of weight to this but then to have the freedom and the fun and right. the play of it all and to keep it alive and new and fresh every night yeah. So uh, you mentioned the music. The music is entirely new. It's original for this production. Yeah. Yes. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those songs were they are they labeled? It's been years since I've actually read that piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, are they called songs in the in the script, and or was it a decision that you all came to that oh this should be song? Yeah, that was a decision that. Um... Now, Martha Redbone and Leah mm-hmm. were probably the perfect yeah. people to ask this that is, question uh, to. Leah Gardner, who's the um, director. But um, what I have gleaned from conversations is that Intezaki, Intezaki wrote new poems that she wanted to see sung. And so when this piece was being commissioned in the very beginning, Leah, our director, uh, when she hired Martha, the composer, said that, you know, Intezaki has new poems that she wants to put music to. And then the I Found God and I in myself and I loved her fiercely mm. is sort of like the anthem, the yeah. women's anthem song. Yeah. And so she found a beautiful way to take literally those two lines and yeah. make a beautiful song out of them. Yeah. And how do you say new poems, but how how new? when did she write these? What? Um she wrote them. She was I mean she's so she's always, and she meaning Intazaki, yes. has always had a desire for this piece to be evolving. Right. Never mm. steadfast, never, you know, stuck in a, in a, in a time capsule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She always wanted to see it more from generation to generation. So even after it was written, she was still writing new pieces for it. And I did a few workshops before she passed mm. and there were even new poems for in there. this product for this production specifically well at the time you know you know they, you they can't know. tell us whether whether or not they were gonna do the production oh, but sure, I think right. they were they were trying to bring it together Got it. and with that they had some private workshops and she had right. brought some pieces that oh, she wow. had written and was considering adding to um, uh, the new production one of the things I feel like I wanna I want to say about this is that she, she and Tazake didn't want to see a revival of For Colored Girls. She mm. wanted to see it reimagined. Mm. And I think that speaks to her desire to always want to keep it fresh and new and on the lips of a younger generation. Right. You know, yeah. and so with this new poetry that she wanted and even wanted to see it, you know, in um, a song format, I think is just a testament to the idea of this is always changing and this this can always be relevant right. no matter when it's presented yeah and for you in terms of where you are in your life and your career you just uh, re- fairly recently wrapped up seven seasons on orange is the new black why you touched a little bit on why theater is uh important to you to get back to but why did it feel like this piece in particular was uh was right for you to for your next thing I hadn't so I hadn't done theater uh, since I think it was season four or five mm. of Orange, and I missed it. I you, really yeah. missed being uh-huh. in theater. I mean, it's tough. Which one was that? Was that Taming of the Shrew? Or I did was Taming that, of yeah, the Shrew, okay. right uh-huh. at the in public the park, yeah, in the right? park <laughs> yep. with the public. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Great memory. Well, I, you know, I do what I can. <laughs> <laughs> Great memory. Um, but I, I did. I did miss it. And so I knew that I wanted to do something in theater. And then, yes, coming off of a show like Orange is the New Black that was revolutionary in its sense, mm. it's kind of hard to just take anything after that, yeah. you know, because you realize the impact that it had not only on my life and the people that watched the show, but the world. Right. And so when you take a piece like for color girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow was enough and you also know the impact that it you know had well I know the impact that it had on me I know the impact that it had on women of color and I know the impact that it had in the theater world it just seemed like it was the the perfect segue or thing to kind of speak to continue in that vein of doing work that is meaningful that is impactful that says something right yeah so that's why i chose it and then what and or so it chose me I yeah say. yeah <laughs> yeah and and so what guides you now is you uh what where do you feel like where do you feel like orange is the new black has sort of put you in terms of where you are in your career and the kind of stuff that you want to do next Ah, Orange is the New Black has made it hard for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, Uh no, not hard, but it's definitely made it challenging in that, you know, when you see, as I said, when you see the impact of what something can have, that's the only thing you want to look for. Right. You know, you you don't want to do, you know, theater or television or film for the sake of just doing it because you know you're going to, you know, make a paycheck. You want right. to do it because it really is art. It really is speaking something. It really is speaking a truth that may be uncomfortable for yeah. some, but also liberating for others. And so when I look at things, I think about, you know, how does this sit in my spirit? And then what is it that I can contribute to this? And what is it saying? And what can I say? with this piece what uh one super cool thing that you did recently that i just found out about actually is you're uh voicing the um you're in the new wonder woman animated film which is super cool you're Mm -hmm. playing etta candy that's awesome the first (laughs) african-american etta candy yes (laughs) and what was what was appealing about that are you the first african-american woman to play etta candy (laughs) (laughs) yeah but but still going along that vein of you know how can how can what i do be different and impactful and unique and you know i think etta candy is just as beloved a character as as wonder woman and you know she kind of holds the fort down and she's smart and she's funny and she's has this wry sense of humor and she's quick and she doesn't let anything get past her which is me all day long (laughs) and so when they brought this project to me i immediately said yes because wonder woman was something that i watched you know as a kid um and then you know speaking to this new um, horizon that we are on where, you know, superheroes can look like anything and anyone, and they don't have to be, you know, just a white man or a white woman. Um, And they don't have to necessarily fly in the air. You know, they could be someone that is behind the computers and they're cracking codes and they're deciphering things and figuring it out. Like Etta, right? Like Etta, while Uh snapping the finger and be like, hey, (laughs) I see you over there. Um, And she's also lesbian in the, the, I don't want to give away everything. Spoiler. Yes, you have, I know, I know. Well, it's out now so people (laughs) can start seeing it. just came out, yeah. But yeah, watching it and seeing how they, and they meaning Warner Brothers and the DC Comics brand is, is, 
unapologetic in, in how they want to tell stories right. is, is I'm just truly honored to be a part of that experience and that history. Right. So, and then, you know, Rosario Dawson playing. Yeah, Rosario Dawson plays Wonder, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. That's amazing. I mean, yeah. it's just, I, I love being in this generation now that, you know, we, we, we just say what we say and speak how we feel and, and, if it offends you, I'm sorry, but I love you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're in for Colored Girls uh, through December 1st, I believe. Yes. Um, what's next for you after that? What's Ooh. Um, well, I'm so I am moving into a space of creator. Oh, wow. And I have some projects that I cool. am pitching, so I will I will be pitching some television show ideas that I have as a writer producer kind of creator. Yeah, as a producer, yeah. I um, am writing a one woman show. Oh wow! For the I'm stage, really, for the stage. Great. But I, I definitely see it like a maybe like a special. Um, um, but it's it's delving f- more into this idea of what it means to be a black woman in America um, and and how, you know, so the the title that I'm working with right now is I Want to Be a White Woman. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, Gordon. Uh Uh-huh. Let's talk about it. Yeah, let's do Um, it. But it it, it honestly deals with this deep desire of, and don't get me wrong, I love myself and I love being African-American and I love all the things about my culture, but I also constantly feel as if I'm, I have to, you know, constantly tell myself that I love myself and you are beautiful because I'm being faced every day with something that is dissonant from who I am and different right. from what I am, right. which is why I have to reinforce the self-love. Right. And so I really want to put out there those things that I think we subconsciously don't see in our society today, you know, through our our marketing, through, you know, the stories that we tell on television, right. to who we choose to be leading men and women you know, yep. in in our in our in our in our storytelling today, right. and so I want to I want to talk about that candidly, but also you know, in a very humorous way because I I think humor is a great way to talk about difficult um, topics and colorism and race and sexuality and beauty and all those things are things that I'm covering in this wow. in this one woman. Yeah, and when will we see this? Do you know, well, we are we are talking to some people right okay. now great. for the stage. Yes, okay, great. but I think it's gonna. I think it's also gonna have a life in yeah. on on that the screen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I ask this uh, of a lot of people um, as I, as my last question on the mm-hmm. podcast, which is if there was any role in the theater that you could play right now or a little further down the line, what's your what's your sort of bucket list part on stage? Mm. So I've always had this dream of bringing the story of Tituba. Oh yeah, to the stage as a musical. Done. Done, Let's, right, uh, Gordon? Yeah, right. Tell whoever you know to come <laughs> okay. holler at me. Um, but that is a I I play when I was in graduate school. We did The Crucible, sure. and I was Tituba, and I fell in love with her and her story, and I read this book um, by, Mar- I may be pronouncing it wrong, mm. but Marise Kond, mm. who wrote um, I, Tituba, Black Witch of Salem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful book. And so I would love to see that on a stage one day. Great. And me playing Tituba. Yeah. Let's make it happen, Broadway. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Yeah. 
Well, thanks so much for being here. It was great chatting with you. Thank thanks, you Adrienne. so much, Gordon. Yeah. That was Adrian C. Moore, now starring on stage in For Colored Girls Who Have Considered Suicide When the Rainbow is Enough, running at Off-Broadway's Public Theater through December 1st. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of StageCraft, please help us find other theater-loving listeners by telling a fellow Broadway fan, or by rating and reviewing us on your podcatcher of choice. I'll be back next week with another new episode. Until then, see you at the theater. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.